This is going to be a very special and unique uh, opportunity for us to celebrate together. Um, so the journey will begin um, on the Chemec Lobby, gym, children's side, and the parking lot. Um, if you'll enter from the, the Greenland Avenue uh, side, uh, as you turn into the parking lot there, you'll receive a map and um, some instructions on how to pray as you drive around the campus to six uh, stations. Mm -hmm. uh, really neat opportunity to come, come prepare your heart and worship. Um, and then after uh, you visit those stations, we're going to have spaghetti dinners available uh, on the Fellowship Hall side. Uh, you will need to make a reservation this week, though, uh, so we know how many meals to prepare. Uh, they're $5 a piece, and would like to encourage you to um, maybe buy a meal for someone who's homebound or someone who just needs uh, a little pick-me-up this week. Um, that'll be from 4.30 to 6, um, 4.30 to 6.30, excuse me, this Maundy Thursday. And you could just call the church office to reserve? Yes, ma'am. Okay, that sounds great. We'll do that. And we've also had to rethink kind of how we're doing resurrection celebration with the children this year. And so we're very excited. We've created an at-home version for you. It's complete with eggs for an egg hunt. So if you are ready for an excellent adventure with us, stop by. You can come by Maundy Thursday through the drive-thru. We'll have the kits available. And we'll also be out um, underneath the portico on the office side from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. on Saturday. April 11th, and you can pick up a kit then too. So it's going to be an extra special time. I just know it. So make sure you stop by and pick up your kit. So, okay. And Aaron, as you mentioned, it is Palm Sunday today, yes. and we would like you to join with us as we worship through a responsive reading. Aaron, you're going to be reading the scripture for us? Yes, I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 21. Would love it if you'd turn there with us uh, and, and, and read and then respond as Karen reads. So beginning in Matthew chapter 21, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This, this is, is Jesus, Jesus, the, the prophet, prophet from, from Nazareth, Nazareth of Galilee. Galilee. Hi, we'd like to gather you with us this morning in a little different way. So if you're at home, children like to invite you to grab a palm branch. If you don't have one of those, we don't have many of those around, then grab a branch of something and uh, enjoy with us praising the Lord on this wonderful Palm Sunday. Again, adults uh, and, and others, your, the text will be on, uh, not on the screen this morning, but it's on your website. So uh, you have a long intro to this hymn, so you have a real quick chance to go grab a computer or whatever, pull up Snyder's website, pull up the service, there you'll see the text. So we're going to be led by some children on video, and uh, here we go, Hosanna to the highest king of earth.
said amen amen i tell you what it is good to be worshiping with you on this palm sunday and that word that we say on palm sunday hosanna it means god saves and indeed he does amen and so from wherever you are let the praise rise this morning. Join with us in singing. Praise is rising. Here we go. Praise is rising. Eyes are turning to you. Return to you. Hope is. Hope is stirring, hearts are yearning for you. We long for you. When we, cause when we see you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence, in your presence, all our fears are washed away. Wash away, Hosanna, Hosanna, you are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises, Hosanna, Hosanna, come by the way. Your presence, all our 
I'd like to read part of Psalm 130 as part of our prayer this morning. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your hearts be attentive to my cry for mercy. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. Father, we humbly and prayerfully wait for you. We cry for mercy, and you answer. We seek hope, and you provide. Father, in our social distancing, thank you for the assurance of your presence. In the uncertainties that lay before us, thank you for your peace. And in the uneasiness around us, thank you for your comfort. Our hope and our faith and our trust is in you. We are your children. You are our God. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, and for your presence in our lives 
always. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I cry to you In darkest places I will call Incline your ear to me anew And hear my cry for mercy To count my sinful ways How could I come before your throne Yet full forgiveness meets my gaze I stand redeemed by grace alone Your love is my delight. Oh, I-
Good morning and welcome. Thank you for joining us for worship this morning. This is the beginning of the holiest week in the church year. Uh, and it's not lost on me that this is also when our leaders are telling us that we're in for a couple of very rough weeks as a country. So it's good uh, for God's people to tune the world out for a little bit. We know that there's a reality out there that's very dangerous. But to tune the world out, and let's tune in to Jesus this morning and, and spend some time worshiping him. He did not abandon us 2,000 years ago when he was facing the cross, and he will not abandon us today either. And so that needs to be our focus. If you have Bibles, I would encourage you to turn with me to this morning's text out of the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 13, six short verses, but I feel like they'll speak to, uh, to where we are today and to where our focus needs to be today as well. Psalm chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. This is the word of God for the people of God. How long? That's the question on everybody's mind these days, and I think it's a guaranteed question at the daily briefings of the president and state governors as they put out directives and answer questions. As I try to keep up with a lot of these interviews, you hear it, there is some version of it every single day. When will we turn the corner? When will this be over? When will it, things get better? You know, we're pretty good at weathering shorter storms. It's the longer open-ended storms in life that we struggle with the most and the uncertainty that is associated with them. I try to stay up with the news. It can be depressing. It can be downright heartbreaking at times. At the very top, at our national level, the president and his advisors are trying to balance the health crisis with the long-term health of our economy. And I've heard President Trump say, and I'm sure he'll, in fact, I think he said it again yesterday, the cure can't be worse than the problem. But the problem is significant. And so where do you draw the line? The recent projections to this day of 100,000 to 240,000 deaths in our country. Millions more will be infected. And on the other side of that dilemma is the economic catastrophe. Uh, some are comparing back to the Great Depression in our nation. This could be the, the greatest economic impact on our, our country in its history, even dating back to the Great Depression. Hospitals are already overwhelmed in places. Medical systems, people are using the word, are on verge of collapsing. And if you read about the plight of, of the medical professionals who are on the front line of this battle, uh, the difficulties that they are facing day in and day out, and then the exhaustion. And then you've got uh, doctors who may have to make triage decisions about who lives and who dies if there are not enough ventilators, and all of the projected questions about that. And so this big picture at the national level filters down with significant implications at the local level. If you just read the newspaper on a daily basis, things that I did not really think about, but children are more at risk for abuse during this pandemic. That breaks my heart. Children in abusive home situations for whom school is an escape, they get out of the house and they're under the safe tutelage of teachers, now are confined and the pressures on the families that are, that are restricted and isolated at home may even exacerbate the problem. That particular issue is breaking my heart. Taps for a 97-year-old World War II veteran was witnessed by only a few people. They had to scrounge to get a military honor to, to, serve the, to honor this veteran who had served our country so well, but because her death fell in the, in the midst of this pandemic. Only a few were there to celebrate and, and honor her life. And then there's the article I read online for, of a couple of nurses, and they, they discuss these hospitals that are uh, overwhelmed as, as a, a war zone. Nurses and doctors going to work and facing up close and personal uh, the health crises of people that are dying. And I want to read an excerpt of two of these. I found this online. Uh, this too broke my heart says, for thousands of brave men and women across the country, their office is no longer a hospital or an ER. It's a combat zone. Here's what one nurse said. 
You spend hours in your patient's room. It's Claudia Griffin in an emotional post to the outside world, gowned up, head to toe, sweating and not able to breathe. And then you realize this is it. I can't save this patient anymore. You sit there and say your goodbyes while they pass without a family or loved ones present because nobody's allowed in the hospital for everyone's safety. You are their only contact and hope. Nothing, she says soberly, can describe it. And even when the staff is away, they can't, they're so exhausted they can't sleep. Here's what another nurse said. My mind won't shut off, one New York City nurse tried to explain. She lays in bed and cries. Her mind filled the faces of patients she's lost. The helplessness is brutal, Claudia admits. You don't even know how this virus works, but you watch as it kills your patient. To anyone who hasn't seen the suffering, she insists, it's real. And she's pleading with the country to act like it is. Stay inside, Claudia begs, as if your life depended on it. And then there was an article about long-term, long-term health care facilities, and we know that they've been in the news, that one in Seattle was uh, one of the earliest ones that was hit hard by this virus. And the quote was, the way residents are being uh, walled off from the outside world is as much of a concern as the virus itself. And so this issue of people needing to reach out and having encouragement, and yet they're isolated in ways that they never have been before. In the last two weeks, 10 million Americans unemployed. Millions of Americans unemployed and can't, don't know how they're going to pay their bills or if, if they'll have a job when this is over. And so how long is the question? It's a legitimate question, but it's not a new question. The Israelites were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. Their God had led them there to be taken care of under Pharaoh's tutelage, and then the leadership changed. And then they found themselves in a very oppressive situation. And for hundreds of years, we know from Scripture, they cried out to the Lord, how long? Joseph languished in prison for 13 years for doing the right thing. Joseph honored God in everything that he did. He, just, he, he wanted to serve him, and he kept making the right decisions, and it kept landing him in more and more trouble. And I'm sure Joseph had a conversation in his mind, if not with the Lord directly, how long is this going to go on, Lord? Is, am I going to end my life in this prison in a foreign country? Job's life fell apart overnight with no explanation. And as you read the book of Job and the 42 chapters there, he's pleading with God for some kind of explanation, some kind of relief from his circumstances, and he's asking the question in part, how long? How long do I have to endure these kinds of circumstances? And then you had the Israelites in exile. It was their fault. They hadn't listened to the Lord. They had turned away from him, and he, he put them in exile. They were in, in Babylon for decades. And they too said, we've got the lesson, but how long do we need to stay here? When can we go back to the temple? When can we go back to worshiping you, God? When can we be back home with our loved ones? And so the context for Psalm 13 is important. David had already been anointed by Samuel. He knew he was going to be the next king. And yet he finds himself running around, hiding in caves from Saul and his army that were pursuing him. And David's got to be asking God, how long? Because he is right here. How long? When are you going to fulfill your promise to make me king? In fact, you can take the anointing away, I bet David said. Just leave me alone. How long do I have to be under these adverse circumstances? David's cry. In fact, he says in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 3, there is but a step between me and death. And so David knew that he was on the verge of death, and yet God had promised him the kingdom, and he was confused and asking, how long? David's cry has been used to express the deep feelings of troubled people in every generation since it was written thousands of years ago. Four times in these first two verses of the 13th Psalm, he asks the question, how long? There's a difference between how long and how long, O Lord. A big difference. One is directed to no one in particular or out to over sp into space or to individuals who don't know the answer. The other is directed to a sovereign God who knows everything. And so let's look more closely at David's plea and see how it might help us today. These six short verses break themselves up easily into three uh, consistent parts. And the first of them is an intense cry of desperation. That's where many of us are today. 
people in the face of this virus, loved ones. We're beginning to know people who have, have loved ones who have died from this. And so there's this intense cry of desperation. David is dejected, and he's desperate. He feels that God has abandoned him. And he reveals several reasons for his feelings. One is it's been a prolonged struggle for him. This wasn't new. He'd been running for, for a long time, and he was wondering how much longer does this have to happen? You and I begin to wonder whether God's silence may be forever when we run into these seasons in life. Where are you, God? When are you going to show up? This has been a long time now. When can you come and help us? Our fear that our situation may continue, we, may, we ne never find relief. And so David asked a specific question in verse 1. Will you forget me forever? Is this forever? Is there no end in sight? Prolonged trials can take a toll and put us at increased risk. And I've been, been reading where people have been committing suicide, taking their life. I'm sure they've probably had some pre-existing conditions in their life, but they see this as the, as the final straw that broke the, the camel's back, and they're checking out from life. And then there's the lack of apparent blessing. David had experienced God's blessings in his life. My goodness, he knew how good God had been, but yet those blessings seemed to have been removed, at least for a season in his life. How long, David says, will you hide your face from me? We want God's face to shine upon us. We, we want his favor in our life. And so David was asking the question, uh, where's the blessing? I know you're a God of blessing. You've blessed me in my life, but that blessing seems to have disappeared. We want that same blessing in our marriage. And maybe there are seasons where marriage was good and all of a sudden it's not so good. And we wonder, has God taken his face away from my marriage or our families? As children may become rebellious or different things happen in the family, we wonder, God, where's your blessing in my life? Or we want it in our, uh, in our work. Maybe God has blessed our work, and now we find ourselves without a job, and we say, okay, God, where's your blessing in my life? I've been trying to serve you faithfully. I, I love you. I'm tithing of, of, of the things that I, I earn through the work that you give me. And yet God's blessing seems to have vanished and disappeared. It happens in churches. Churches that will plateau or begin to decline, and you, and you have to ask yourself the question, God, where are you? We're your people. We're here to worship you. We've been here for decades. We have a, a long history as a church with you, but God's blessing seems to not be in sight. And sometimes in our own spiritual journey, our own life, we sense an absence of God's blessing, an absence of his faith, sh face shining on us. Wilderness experiences that are characterized by the absence of his blessings. And then David talks specifically about his enemies pursuing him. That was a third reason for his cry of desperation. Saul was a powerful man. Saul was the ruler of the known world at the time. Saul was, was using his armies to hunt David down to, to take his life. And so David is, is crying desperately out to the Lord. His feelings were unbridled. They were out of control. And ours can become the same way. It's very dangerous to give in to our feelings. The Bible says that they can be deceptive and undependable. We can't ignore them, they're our feelings. But we must recognize that God is often at work in ways we can't see and don't know. And we can't rely on our feelings because they do not always and often do not reflect reality. So you have this desperate plea for help from God. And then there's a turning point. Verses 3 and 4, there's a shift in David's focus. In just six short verses, but there, there's a shift. And I would call this the prayerful plea. We need to get out of our sense of desperation and recover a sense of God's presence. And the turning point for David was prayer. I want you to hear that. As David was in a desperate situation, wondering how long, the turning point for him, in his mind and in reality and in truth, was prayer. The fact that we feel abandoned by God sometimes means that we know that God, deep down, is there. We know he exists. And so we're crying out to him in desperation, even though we can't see his face, and we feel like the absence of his blessings, we know he's there. David wanted God to look his direction again. And so you and I need to talk to the God that we know is there. The Bible tells us that God loves and is always faithful to his children, regardless of how we feel. And so David's prayer has three requests. The first one is, look, look on me. He wants God's face to look on him. He felt like God was hiding his face. He felt like God had turned away from, uh, his face away from him, and he wanted God to look his direction again. It's really a prayer for God's presence. Those times in our life where we sense, where, where are you, God? How long is this going to go on? We just want to sense that God is present and that he's looking over us. And so David says, look on me. And then he says, answer. He feels God is no longer speaking to him. He wants God to answer his questions. If you read the book of Job again, Job is just frustrated that God is silent, silent, 
silent. He wants some kind of word from God, some kind of explanation, some kind of encouragement from his God. And David needed the same thing. We too need encouragement from God. And you and I have the Bible. I ran across a quote this week and just tucked it in my sermon as I found it. It was from Ruth Graham. It says, Down through the years I have turned to the Bible and found in it all that I ever needed. You and I, in our, in our season of desperation, in our cry of desperation, in our seri- seri- uh, series of asking ourselves a question, how long, need to focus on what we know to be true. And we know that God's word is true and his promises are true in it. And then the third plea that David enters in, in his prayer is, give light to my eyes. David's future looked dark. It looked bleak. He feared his enemy would triumph over him. And in fact, he says that my enemy is going to triumph over me and then he's going to gloat in his victory. He wants God to preserve him and restore his hope for the future. He needed to see some light at the end of the tunnel. And what's amazing to me in these very short verses is we know that God answered David's prayer. We don't see God speaking to him. These are just six verses that David is saying, but we know God answered because David's faith is restored. And he turns in the last two verses to praising God and and declaring his trust and his faith in God. And so we know God answered. But here again, that the prayer was the turning point for David, and it will be our turning point as well. As you and I turn out and ask not the question how long, but how long, O Lord? And as we wait on him through this crisis in our lives. And so in these final two verses, we have a calm assertion of faith. I want to read them again. David says, but, but, that's the turning point. That's the transition word. I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. But indicates transition from fear to faith, from questioning God to claiming his promises. David's feelings had been all over the map, but God was still on his throne. God's character had not changed. His steadfast love had not changed. And that steadfast love was all that David needed. Warren Wiersbe said, God's people don't live on explanations. They live on promises. And those promises are as unchanging as the character of God. Let me read that again. God's people don't live on explanations. We live on promises. And those promises are as unchanging as the character of God. David's circumstances had not changed at all in these six verses, but his focus did. He stopped looking at his feelings, he stopped looking at his foes, and he turned to the Lord in faith. He recalls God's past goodness, and he is certain that God will be good to him again. You know, when I looked at this question in the Bible, I obviously did a word search, and and I couldn't ignore the fact that there's another how long at the very end of the Bible. It's in the book of Revelation. It's in the sixth chapter, and it's one that we need to hear because it puts our current circumstances, whether it be the coronavirus crisis or anything else that we may experience while we're still here on this earth, in its eternal perspective. Here from the book of Revelation, the sixth chapter, verses 9 through 11a. When he, speaking of Jesus, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. These are Christian martyrs who had been killed over the centuries and are being killed today because of the Christian faith. They called out in a loud voice, listen to their question, how long, sovereign Lord? How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer. We don't like to wait, do we? But that's exactly what the Bible tells us to do, and specifically to wait on the Lord. To wait on the God who is on his throne today, who has our future in his hands, to wait on him. And then we read in the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, Behold, Jesus says, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life. In other words, blessed are those who have a right relationship with me, 
Their, their robe has been given to them because their sins have been washed away by the blood of my son. Blessed are those who are in right relationship with me through my son, Jesus Christ. My friends, we are not waiting for a virus to run its course. We are waiting on the Lord to fulfill his purpose and his promises to his people. And in the meantime, you and I need to be, need to be praying hard for our nation and its leaders. My, my friend, if you're not praying for our president and all those who are advising him and other world leaders and the governors of our states, then you and I are wrong. You and I need to be praying hard for the leaders who have the weight of the world on their shoulders right now. People are living and dying based on the decisions that they're making. And you and I need to be lifting them up in prayer. We need to be standing on the unchanging promises of God as God's people. Yes, the pandemic is real. Yes, Christians will die in the, in the midst of those numbers. But you and I need to be standing every day on the unchanging promises of a God whose character and promises do not change. And you and I need to declare with David, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, these are unparalleled, challenging times for our nation. It's being compared to the Great Depression. It's being compared to World War II. It's being compared to 9-11, each of which took their extensive toll on our nation, as is this pandemic today, and not just on the United States, but on countries around the world. And so, Father, help us to get our focus off of our challenge and get it on you. The unchanging God who this very moment in time is sitting on your throne, governing the affairs of men. Your purpose has not changed. Your character has not changed. Your promises have not changed, and they will not change. And so, Father, thank you for being the God that we can look to, the God who is above all this, the God who loves us unconditionally, the God who has our future, each and every one, in your hands. And so, Father, today we have come today to worship you, to sing your praises, to declare our trust in your faithfulness and your unfailing love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Folks, I, I think differently probably than some. I know people are dying every day in our country and around the world, and I wonder how many of them have no relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ. That breaks my heart. They're entering eternity without any possibility of ever being with the God for all eternity. And so I, I want us to continue to proclaim the truth of God's Word. I want us to continue to share the truth of God's Word. And if you're listening to this message today, I want you to know that God loves you. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can have it this very moment in time by placing your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Christian, you and I are vulnerable to this virus like anybody else, but we are people of faith. And we need to live a lives of faith. And we need to live out a hope and a peace that the world doesn't have because they don't have the Jesus that we have. And you and I can be witnesses as we weather this storm as God's people, declaring his promises and relying on them each and every day. My friend, I know these are challenging times for all of us. I'm praying for you. This church is here for you. If you're in our community and you need something, you contact us. We'll do our best to, to, to do what we can to take care of your needs. God bless you, and God will get us through this together. Jesus is all. 
Jesus for my questions. Jesus, make it right. Jesus, in the seasons, bring me to my knees. Yes, Jesus is holding me. Ways for friends to come into the love that I have known to see the stars from all and Jesus still holding me. Oh, Jesus still holding. Jesus in the morning, Jesus through the night, Jesus on my questions, Jesus make it right, Jesus in the seasons, bring me to my knees, Jesus is pray. Our Father, how long, O oh Lord? We still keep asking that question each and every day. How long will this pandemic last? It's not a new question for you as we've just heard, but help us to remember the great truth of Holy Week, Father. Christ is King. Your Son suffered, sacrificed, and gave all for each of us from the cross. Your throne is not made of silver and gold, but of wood and nails. I don't always feel glad and grateful, but I know that you are always there. Help me to say thank you and hold me tight and help me to look for ways that you are working and say thank you and share that with others around me. We are waiting on you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Susie. I'm Gary Gamble, church administrator here at Snyder. My giving words for you today are thank you, thank you. Because of your faithfulness and generosity, in 2019 we were able to complete two of our three 2020 vision projects for our mission partners. Two floors were added to the Bondini Hospital in Nairobi, Kenya, and land and a home were purchased for the Orphanage and Worship Center in Myanmar. And then just last week, we sent the first $50,000 to our mission partners in Haiti to begin work on a third project, the Theological Training Center. And because of your giving to both 2020 Vision and through the giving plans, when they're ready to move ahead with the construction, that money is ready for them. So thank you. Your generosity is making a difference, and it's carried over into 2020 in our regular giving to our ministry resource plan, and we're doing very well. Giving is an act of worship. Because we can't meet together and pass the offering plates, many of you are mailing checks. Some are dropping envelopes with checks or cash by the office. Many of us are using the giving and tithing tab at the top of the webpage. Some are using the Church Life, Life app on their phones. And some are continuing to use the regular monthly bank draft. If you have questions about any of those ways to give, please call us in the office and we'll be glad to help you. And if you're watching or listening today and you belong to another church, first of all, welcome. But second of all, remember that your church needs your generosity during this time also. 
These are difficult times. They're unlike anything that we've experienced before, and we don't know how long they're going to last. But an end will come, and at that time there will be great joy and celebration when we can join together again. So again, thank you for your generosity during this time. May God bless each of us for our faithfulness. So during today, as we end our worship service, we turn a corner. We head in a new direction to express our praise and our thanksgiving and our remembrance of the Holy Week expression of worship. The next major event during Holy Week is Maundy Thursday. So to prepare and turn the corner, heading toward Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and ultimately the resurrection of Sunday morning, I'd like to invite you to sing with us very familiar song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Let's stand and sing, shall we?
to put you in charge. What? Why would we do that? Oh, because you have good taste. That's right. Become an Air One influencer today and help pick the music you hear. Join now at airone.com. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph 